whatever emotion it is that you're experiencing right now, that is to be an impetus to go to God, whether it's in prayer or whether it's in praise. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hello again, I'm Bill Wright, and Tom is continuing his current series with part two of Prayer for All Seasons. Have you ever been tempted in times of trouble or hardship to abandon the spiritual disciplines of prayer and study of God's Word? Well, today Tom will examine what James chapter 5, verse 13 reveals to us about the necessity of prayer in all of life's circumstances. Whether you're in a season of ease and comfort or pain and loss, prayer is what keeps you close to the one who holds your life in his hands. All of life's circumstances and your response to those circumstances should drive you closer and closer to God. But how? Let's find out together right now with Tom Pennington on The Word Unleashed. Are you cheerful today? Is your perspective about your life, whatever your circumstances, one of deep inner joy? Then here's how you're to respond. Look at verse 13. He is to sing praises. We get our word psalm from the Greek word translated sing praises. It originally meant to pluck a stringed instrument. And then it came to mean singing and accompanying, being accompanied by a stringed instrument. And ultimately it came to refer simply to the singing itself. It doesn't describe a particular kind of music. In other words, God's not telling us here that we have to sing one of the psalms. Instead, it describes any song of praise to God. This is to be our response. Do you find yourself this morning genuinely filled with a joy, with a deep sense of joy and satisfaction in the God's goodness to you and the life He's given to you? Then your response to, should be to flood over with praise to God. Praise, by the way, singing praises is simply another form of prayer. Do you realize that? When you and I sing praises to God, as we've done this morning, if it's done correctly, it is another form of praying to God. It is the overflow of our hearts speaking to God and reciting His goodness and His grace to us. Scripture constantly resounds with the praises of God's people because of the joy that's within their hearts. Let me show you just a couple of examples. Turn back to Psalm 95. Psalm 95 is the sister psalm to the Psalm 100 that we studied a couple of weeks ago. Psalm 95 verse 1 says, O come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before His presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to Him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great King high above all gods, in whose hands are the depths of the earth. The peaks of the mountains are His also. The sea is His, for it was He who made it, and His hands formed the dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. 
We are to let the overflow of our joy turn into praise to our God. You see this in the New Testament as well. Turn to Luke 24. Luke 24, in verse 50, Luke records the ascension of our Lord. He says, And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he parted from them and was carried away up into heaven. How do you respond in the midst of that? They were worshiping him, and then they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. So what do you do if you're filled with joy? Well, look how the disciples responded. Verse 53, And they were continually in the temple praising God. This is to be the expression of our hearts. You see it again in Ephesians chapter 5, in that great passage about being filled with the Spirit. We're told in Ephesians 5 verse 18, Don't get drunk with wine, for that's dissipation, but instead be controlled or permeated with the Spirit. And how does that express itself? Verse 19, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. In the parallel passage in Colossians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16, and I've explained this to you before, but you'll remember that being filled with the Spirit is identical to letting the Word of Christ dwell richly within you. It's the same thing. To be filled with the Spirit is to be controlled by the Word of God. To be controlled by the Word of God is to be filled with the Spirit. And how does that express itself? Verse 16, With all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. This is to be our response. Are you in trouble? Then you're to pray. But if as you sit here this morning you can say that your life and your perspective about your life, whatever your circumstances may be, is one of a deep sense of inner joy, then you are to respond by singing praises to God, a different kind of prayer to God Himself. Now, turn back to James chapter 5. I want you to see the big picture here. Let's step back and look at the big picture of what James is telling us. With these two questions... In verse 13, is anyone suffering and is anyone cheerful? James intends to encompass every season and circumstance of life, to put bookends, if you will, on all of life. Every experience that you and I can encounter in life is included in verse 13. Listen to a great commentator on the book of James, Alec Motyer. He writes, Here then, in two words, the word suffering and cheerful, are all life's experiences, and each of them in turn can so easily be the occasion of spiritual upset. Have you ever thought about that? Listen to what he says. Trouble can give rise to an attitude of surly rebellion against God and the abandonment of spiritual practices. Have you ever been tempted in the midst of trial and trouble, to turn in anger on God, to question His goodness, to rebel, as it were, against His providence. Why are you doing this to me? Why are you doing this to my family? And to actually 
failed to practice, as he says here, spiritual practices. For a time to ignore the Word of God, to ignore prayer, to ignore the corporate gathering for worship. Trouble can lead us there. But he goes on to say, equally, times of ease and affluence beget complacency, laziness, and the assumption that we are able of ourselves to cope with life and God is forgotten. You see, just as trouble can lead us into rebellion, ease can lead us into forgetfulness. Whether we find ourselves in trouble or in triumph, and everything between, James says we are to pray. We are to remember God. So every circumstance is included. Every circumstance of life is included in verse 13. But there's more in verse 13. Look again at the word cheerful. Notice the word cheerful does not describe a circumstance, but rather our response to our circumstances. Our emotions. What James wants us to understand is that not only should every circumstance we face drive us to God, but our emotional response to our circumstances, whatever that may be, should also drive us to God. You see, emotion is a God-given gift. It is part of what it means to be made in the image of God. Biblical language tells us that God has emotions of various kinds. Now be careful here. It's important that you think about this accurately. All the biblical descriptions of emotion in God are what theologians call anthropopathic. That means God doesn't experience emotions in exactly the same way we do. Our emotions are physical responses to external stimuli. They are physical responses to something we perceive or something we think or something we believe. For example, you're riding down the freeway, God forbid, on the way home from church, and you have a near accident. What emotion do you experience? Fear. Now, why? I mean, you didn't have an accident. Why would you experience fear? It's because your perception, your, the external stimuli of that near accident causes your body to respond with fear because that's how you perceive the situation. But God isn't like that. God doesn't react because nothing surprises God. So when emotions are given or, or prescribed to God in the Scripture, we're simply being told that to help us understand something that's true about God, but it's not exactly like our emotions. But nevertheless, listen carefully, God doesn't react, but He describes Himself as experiencing emotions. That means there is something in God which can best be explained by comparing it to our emotions. And our God-given emotions, whatever they are, should always drive us to God. Whatever emotion it is that you're experiencing right now, that is to be an impetus to go to God, whether it's in prayer or whether it's in praise. If you want to see what that looks like in real life, I encourage you to study and meditate on the Psalms. Because the book of Psalms serves as, as G. Campbell Morgan calls it, the book in which the emotions of the human soul find expression. Another author says the Psalms are a mirror into which one can peer and see himself 
and his emotions reflected. Psalms provides us with a divinely intended record and pattern of man expressing himself to God. A pattern, if you will, of prayer and praise. Based on not only all of the different experiences of life, but also based on our different emotional reaction to all the circumstances of life. Let me show you just a couple of examples from the life of David, the life and pen of David. Turn back to Psalm 3. I want you to see how the Psalms are intended to show us that whatever emotion we're facing and whatever experience has caused that emotion, all of that is to drive us to God. Psalm 3. The title says it's a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. Now, I want you for a moment to try to put yourself in David's shoes at this moment. The moment that the psalm was written and the circumstances that led up to it. Is there anything worse for a king than a rebellion against his kingship? It's hard to imagine anything getting much worse than that, and yet it was worse. Because the rebellion came from his own son. David is on the run. He's lost his throne. He's lost his kingdom. And it's because of his son. Notice his response. Verse 1, O Lord, how my adversaries have increased. Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no deliverance for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the one who lifts my head. I was crying to the Lord with my voice, and He answered me from His holy mountain. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you have smitten all my enemies on the cheek. You have shattered the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord." Your blessing be upon your people. You see David here in the wide range of his emotions to this experience, the circumstance. Everything from the despondency and despair that come with being attacked by your own son and having people in your kingdom rally to him to the hope that God will act on his behalf. But all of it drove him to God. Notice Psalm 6. Here you have a prayer for mercy in time of trouble. Again, you see the heart of David poured out before God. This is a pattern for us, folks. This is how we are to pour out our hearts before God. O oh Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O oh Lord, for I am pining away. Heal me, O oh Lord, for my bones are dismayed. My soul is greatly dismayed. But you, O oh Lord, and the interrupts himself, how long? Return, O oh Lord, rescue my soul. Save me because of your loving kindness. I am weary, verse 6, with my sighing. Every night I make my bed swim. I dissolve my couch with my tears. My eye is wasted away with grief. It has become old because of my adversaries. What I want you to see is that when David found himself in trouble, where did he turn? When he found himself discouraged and the emotion of absolute and utter discouragement came upon him, where did he go? He went to the Lord. But you see the opposite is true as well. Turn to Psalm 9. Just a few pages over. 
David writes, I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonders. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. And he goes on through this psalm to recite the goodness and greatness of God and caring for Him. A totally different tone, an emotional tone, in totally different circumstances. Turn over to Psalm 30 and you see again this sense of joy overflowing in praise. It's a song at the dedication of the house, and it's written, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up and have not let my enemies rejoice over me. O Lord my God, I cried to you for help, and you healed me. You have brought my soul from Sheol. You have kept me alive. Sing praise to the Lord, you His godly ones, and give thanks to His holy name. For His anger is for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. You see how David, whatever the circumstance in his life, and whatever his own emotional response to that circumstance, he let it drive him to God. He's open and honest about his emotions, but they push him to his God. James is telling us exactly the same thing. Whatever our circumstances, whatever season of life we may be in, and whatever our perspective or emotions about those circumstances may be, we are to turn to God in prayer. This is reminiscent of Paul's constant call to pray always. You remember in Ephesians chapter 6, he says, pray at all times. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he says, pray without ceasing. Jesus Himself, our Lord, taught us to make this kind of prayer a priority. In fact, turn with me to Luke 18. In Luke 18, Jesus teaches a parable to communicate the importance of prayer. Luke 18, verse 1. Now He was telling them a parable, and here was its purpose. To show that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart. Keep praying, and whatever your circumstances, don't lose heart. Pour out your heart to God. And here's the parable. In a certain city, there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. In other words, this guy didn't care. He didn't care about justice. He didn't care about the people he was supposedly serving. He only cared about himself. And there was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him saying, Give me legal protection from my opponent. For a while he was unwilling, but afterwards he said to himself, even though I don't fear God and respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection, otherwise by continually coming she will wear me out. The Lord said, don't miss the point, hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now will not God bring about justice for his elect? Here's the point, the moral of the story. God is nothing like that unrighteous judge. And if that unrighteous judge gave in to the persistence of that woman simply to get her off his back, then how much more eager is our loving Father willing to respond to us? So turn to Him in the midst of your trouble. We ought always to pray and not to lose heart. Now, here's the main point, and I don't want you to miss this. The main point of verse 13 is that every circumstance... And every emotion is intended to drive us to God. 
As John Calvin said of this passage, James means there is no time in which God does not invite us to Himself. I love that. There is no time, there's no circumstance, there's nothing you might be feeling that would cause God not to invite you to Himself. Alec Motyer writes, Our whole life should be so angled towards God that whatever strikes upon us, whether sorrow or joy, should be deflected upwards at once into His presence. He goes on to say, in particular, this is an exercise in glad acceptance of the will of God. This is the common denominator, that is, accepting God's will, is the common denominator in prayer and praise. In praise, we say to Him, Your will is good, perfect, and acceptable. This is what you've done for me, and I rejoice in it. And as for prayer in time of trouble, it attempts, however poorly we may succeed, to copy the Gethsemane prayer of Jesus in saying, Not my will, but yours be done. That is exactly what James is saying in verse 13. As John Blanchard describes it, We have a God for all seasons. If you find the world on top of you, pray. And if you find yourself on top of the world, then praise. Why is this important? Because when we pray to God in our trouble, we acknowledge His sovereign power to meet all our needs. When we pray in the middle of trouble and say, God, I need your help. We're saying, God, everything I need in the midst of this difficulty is in you. And when we, in the midst of our joy, sing in praise, we acknowledge that God in His sovereign goodness has brought those circumstances into our lives. We say, God, the reason I'm in joy, the reason I'm in these great circumstances, the reason my heart can be filled with joy even in these difficult circumstances is because of You. On the other hand, When we don't pray, we are revealing to ourselves and to everyone around us that those things are not true. You see, when we pray and when we praise, we acknowledge God as our all-sufficiency. But when we don't, we are acknowledging that we don't believe He's our sufficiency. If you find yourself in trouble and you're not praying, you know what you're saying? You're saying, God, what I really need in this situation isn't coming from you. You can't help me. Or if we find ourselves in the midst of joy and a deep sense of inner peace and joy over the circumstances in which we find ourselves or through the circumstances in which we find ourselves and we don't praise God, then we're saying, God, you had nothing to do with this. You see, as we contemplate the priority of prayer, don't forget the theme of James' letter. Remember what it is? Tests of a living faith. There is a living faith that is a saving faith, and there is a dead faith like that of demons that will not save, a simple grasp of the facts about Christ that will not bring salvation. And one of the tests of the reality of our faith is whether or not we continually find ourselves resorting to God in prayer and praise. D. Edmund Hebert writes, Christian faith finds its center and power in a vital relationship with God through prayer in all the experiences of life. You see, the habit of prayer should be, and in fact is, one of the most profound marks of genuine Christian faith. Is your faith living or is it dead? Take a look at your prayer.
James not only understood this, he practiced it. Listen to the early church father, Eusebius, quoting an ancient tradition. He wrote this of James. James' knees grew hard like a camel's because of his constant worship of God in prayer. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part two of his series titled Prayer for All Seasons. Tom will have part three for you on our next broadcast, and we hope you'll join us then. Well, we'd like you to know that Tom has a new book out titled The God Who Hears, a book of pastoral prayers. It features 31 scripture readings and accompanying pastoral prayers. Tom's book is available for purchase right now online at thewordunleashed.org. As always, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do that by visiting thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory explaining God's truth.